Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 295th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that gains a treasure every time we sell a monkey. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter as well, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward, as always, to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read the best articles by the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout, that's the number 5, at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what do we have on the agenda this week? Well, let's start out with our, uh, our brief foray into the trailer here, the Gather Your Greatness. Finally got a chance to sit down and watch it. Oh boy. I, you know, I'm going to take a different tact here. Like, I didn't think it was atrocious. I I thought that it kind of had the makings of being a fun trailer. It just ended up a little too hokey in the execution. If they had played it, if they had leaned less on those like goofy animations of the people using their powers in the real world, like the, the audio cues, while cliched, were very potent. Like, they could have just dialed it back a little bit with the real-world stuff. And I think it would have been a fine trailer. Again, cliched, but probably effective. I think the thing that bothers me the most is that it very much seems like a piece produced by an agency that doesn't understand the game. Mm -hmm. um, it's the kind of advertising that gets generated by teams who are not fully up to speed on what it is they are marketing or have decided that the, the core features of the game are not marketable and, and they're just kind of throwing shit at the wall to see what will stick. It's also possible that they had some excellent ideas and I've certainly been in meetings like this where they pitched wizards as some really cool shit and they got shot down and the like backup idea they had tabled that seemed like the safe, easy thing got selected by an executive that, made a bad decision so here's my problem with the thing the piece overall it shows three people going about their day-to-day -day lives and they end up casting magic spells once to light the fire a bonfire at an outdoor gathering place once to speed up how fast an old lady is stocking the shelves at a grocery store, which is mysteriously empty. The only way that this conceit works in this portion of the video is that the grocery store didn't already have food. Apparently the gentleman has walked into a store which has zero food on the shelves in an aisle that only stocks a single item, the breakfast cereal that he likes. And there, though there is a pallet waiting at the end of the hall that he could simply approach and ask for his cereal, he casts a magic spell to speed up the shelf-stocking clerk 
and bring thousands of boxes of cereal to the floor. What? Why? Why Why is that the thing that happens? It's so bizarre. And, and some total, they don't really get into the game at all. And, and this is one of the things that I think they've, they've always struggled with, because the game is complex, and it's hard to encapsulate what it's all about. But the thing is, they have gotten a lot closer to the goal before. There have been ads for Arena that made a lot of sense, that, that just, they, they weren't spectacular, they weren't award-winning or anything, but they just, they did the job. They showed people playing Arena. The only chance you really get to see it are these brief, like, one or two second clips here. In one case, the same gentleman who had the bizarre interaction in the grocery store is doing one-handed push-ups because apparently somebody had the idea that like they're trying to show like you're not nerdy you can be a super cool jock and still enjoy arena and it's just it's it's a mess man like the, the connection between what the people are doing in this pretty lengthy ad because that's the other thing right you can forgive a lot about an ad where the you know if the whole thing is 15 seconds or something you've only got so much time to work with but this is a pretty lengthy ad and they really go nowhere with it and they dwell on a bunch of things that just do nothing to make people want to get involved in the game or explore it if you don't know anything about magic there's nothing in this ad that will lead you to the well so to speak and the acting and setup of the scenarios that unfold are so cringeworthy that there's no cool factor on display here like the game might be great but you there's nothing about this ad that supports that. They would have been better off just showing me 20 seconds of actual gameplay on Arena and having a voiceover, and you'd probably have a broader reach with that, quite frankly. Hey, you should. Here's a, we. Here's this game, Magic the Gathering. You can play it in paper with your friends or on Magic Arena I, while you're stuck at home during COVID. And this is a really great game. And I bet you anything that would have been better out- outcomes. I, I, so I thought the bit with him, uh, exercising is actually good because it's sort of demonstrating like, hey, you can play mobile everywhere. Like, you know, look, you can cut it's it, not so much as like, oh, you don't have to be a nerd to play this, but like, look at how flexible this is, right? Like you can be doing this while you're doing other stuff, which is a good sell. Uh, if, you know, again, heavy handed and within the context of a, an ad. Um, and, I, and I think that's a point they do need to make if they want to push arena on mobile, which they spend a bunch of money to support. Um, but they don't just come out right out and out say it like a 15 second ad that says, Hey, magic at the gathering, the greatest strategy game of all time is now available on mobile. You can play it anywhere. Capture the magic. Boom. Like you got there. This is a two, (laughs) two minute and 27 second ad and it fails to do what it needs to. What the, let's talk about the third scenario. (laughs) You've got a, a girl who's bored doing work or something and then ditches it to play arena and then somebody's making noise in her apartment building and she goes to complain about it and they ignore her so instead she goes in and casts a magic spell to threaten the person with the hammer with a wolf mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like what all, all, all of the 
whatchamacallit, the, the little bits are a gimmicky. And this is what I was saying was the weakest part of it, was that they feel those, I mean, when they're the majority of it, but they feel sort of forced in a way. Um, so I, I, I agree. I disagree with that. And you can also see they're very clearly trying to hit certain notes. You have the black guy who then sees himself as a black character on a card to kind of say, hey, look at our representation. And then the woman facing down the scare, you know, the tough construction guys and showing that she has strength to like, obviously they're like, oh, how do we make sure that we tell people of color and women that like they're welcome in our game? So you can see sure. them hitting those notes. <laughs> and, and those are and those are notes worth hitting, right? From an advertising perspective, I would assume as much. You know, I, I'm not a an ad guy. I'm, I'm just a consumer. I'm a person who watches this stuff, not who who creates it. So I can only look at it from that perspective. Um, I, I I mean, I don't like for in a, a, two and a half minutes. I mean, maybe that's maybe this is terrible for something that long. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, a, a terrible use of it. I as someone outside of the ad campaign. Out of the outside of the ad world, who's just on the outside looking in, it does. It's not like a great commercial, but I don't think it's as bad as I was anticipating going in. Maybe my opinion would have been different if I had watched it blind and then had to react in that capacity. Con- considering what this is presumably targeting, it's going after the gamer community at large. And in case they haven't tripped over the game before, you're trying to bait them into trying it out. Probably your onboarding device at this point is Arena. And then you're hoping they're going to branch out and spend more money on paper. The If you compare this to the War of the Spark trailer, where Liliana confronts uh, Bolas to Linkin Park, we're, we're, we're talking about different planets in terms of effective advertising. Like, that was a cool fucking cartoon. It suggests that the game is also cool. Well, I... Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about hitting your target audience, then I guess I can't argue that that was probably better at it. Uh, I, I I agree with that. I agree with that. That that ad was going to speak like if your if your target audience is gamers, like the commercial that we just saw probably isn't going to cut it because it's not doing anything for them. It feels like it was made by a marketing company who doesn't understand what it's like to play video games. Whereas the Liliana one was more an ad made for people who play, who know what a video game is. So that's respectable. Like I can get that, um, you know, it being a failure in that regard. Bottom line, I, could th- I think they can do a lot better and uh, hope they do in the future. Cause uh, if, if they put, money into into projects like this and then they don't pay off they end up going oh see this stuff doesn't work but it works it works when you make it work right like you have to build better advertising it's interesting that they try to do this as a straight face commercial when you're advertising on twitch like it feels like that world is so inundated with tongue-in-cheek you know ironic goofy material that to do something like this, which seems like it's for a different age range, like for a different audience, like this seems like a video game commercial you would have seen 15 years ago, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before the advertising ag- advertising agencies understood gaming. Yeah, and, and, I, and that I, makes and that makes me what what makes me wonder who worked on this. Yeah, it feels like Hasbro trying to go, 
use a mid-tier agency that doesn't really deal with this industry much. At the very least, it seems like whoever made it doesn't really know what Twitch is. Uh, oh, yeah. Or or they handed this team a crappy budget. I mean, that's also... You well, can only, you're only going to get what you put into it. True. I guess it didn't feel like it was that far away from being reasonable. Like, I think some minor changes could have gotten this to not great but watchable like not embarrassing basically i'm willing to bet we could take this footage recut it down to 60 seconds and change the voiceover entirely and instead of dragging things way out put in some you know 10 or 15 more seconds of gameplay and you'd do a lot better yeah like if you had showed hit the one kid i don't remember how it starts i know he he i remember he goes outside and lights the stuff on fire but if it had shown the first the the first kid the white kid sort of playing like a red deck on his phone or whatever and then going and sitting by the fire on the patio and then uh the black guy doing playing arena on his phone while he works out and then the chick sort of alt tabbing from outlook over to arena on her desktop and then later showing them all sit down you're kind of making the sales pitch like you can do this while you're hanging out and wait for your friends to show up or in in between sets at the gym or 10 minutes in between work at home and then you meet up later on in person and you play a game with real cards for fun like i feel like that sells it so much better without having to lean into that kind of hokey bit okay so here's how i do it you know how they do Hire the thing me. with the with, with the eyes lighting up in the color of the play, the deck they were playing? Yes. So you you do each of them in turn where one person's playing blue. You show five seconds of that deck unfolding, the kinds of things that deck does. You do the same thing for the red. You do the same thing for the green. Then you wrap it up by bringing them together at the table, like you said, and they're playing together and their eyes light up again as they meet. You're good. That's a much better commercial just on the surface. Yeah. Because because you're showing you're showing the connection between the two ways to play the game. You're not getting into all the little skits where they go do ridiculous things in public that would never make anyone feel like they want to play a game. Because the idea that the game gets you like gets stretches to that kind of personal confidence in public is just a ridiculous stretch on the brand. Like it has nothing to do with the brand. So ditch that entirely. Hmm. Like you don't, it's not the, the, the suggestion that you can in any way impact your normal life based on your experiences in magic is just silly, silly, silly. Yeah. Like if, it's the kind of thing you would use to sell a sports camp for kids to show them being confident, standing up to bullies afterwards. And, yeah. you, you, and, and there, and there could be an argument made that that's a legitimate thing that could happen. Like if you imbue your child with a sense of self-confidence, they may well deal with real life problems better. But the idea that what happens at your supermarket is even remotely relevant to this game is just silly. Right. I think that that is the part that feels so clunky. Like obviously everyone watching this is we're past the point where that's effective marketing. And I, th I think you're right, but the, the way to do it is to show like, Oh, you can be, um, rather than pretend like you can influence real life, more like show how the game integrates into your life, how you can play it easily, waiting in line at the store, at the gym, in between work stuff, right? Like that's the stuff that people are gonna be like, oh, I guess this is actually not as, like I can actually sit down and play this game and not have it take an entire day up. Sure. Yeah. 
All right, so moving on along to our Magic Online metagame wait, week and review. I didn't wait. Oh, spoilers! I didn't tell everyone what we're doing yet. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Segment one: Our MTGO metagame week and review. <laughs> Segment two: Our top sweeper movers cards will move the most in price this week, along with the uh-huh. MTGO movers. Segment three: Card swatch. I have four cards to talk about this week, but Ooh. one of them is kind of cheating. And segment four, our topic of the week, speaking of curious Hasbro decisions, uh, the Hasbro quarter three results. So very business heavy stuff on that end. But yeah, uh, the modern premiere here from October 24th, uh, a lot of hammer time in here, I'm noticing. Big, big hammer day. I think the biggest story of the challenges from this weekend is how many of them pivoted on companions. And we've been talking about this issue all year and, and more and more of it recently about to what, at what point will they either need to embrace companions completely as the defining characteristic of this format or move to remove them from the format? Because, you know, it it hasn't been like this every week. There's been a mixture, but this week, at the premiere event, top eight decks are Four Color Yorion, a deck that we saw in second and third in a major event last weekend, Dark Hammer Time, which is just Hammer Time with four Dark Confidant, uh, Blue White Control featuring two Memory Deluge uh, amongst their usual uh, assortment of tools, Jeskai Yorion Control uh, in fourth, which is different than Four Color Yorion. The Four Color Yorion builds are more about comes in play abilities and using Ephemerate and Yorion and some other stuff to flicker them in and out and whatever. Jeskai Yorion Control is more like a Jeskai Control deck that happens to have Yorion as well. Um, And then Hammer Time in 5th, Blue-White Control again in 6th, Hammer Time in 7th, and then Blue-Red Murktide in 8th. So nothing surprising here. But if you look at the companions, that's Yorion, Lurus, Kahira, Yorion, Lurus, Kahira, Lurus, not applicable because Blue-Red Murktide is one of the only decks... Uh, it constantly top eights without a companion. And and don't think that they didn't w- wish they had one. <laughs> I mean, if, if there was one that made sense for them, they probably would, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I would imagine they're just, they just need something to shift to make it viable, right? Like, they'll get to the point where they're going to run one. They just, the, the core of the deck has to tweak enough that they can change something around to make one fit. Well, the question becomes, if... If companions will be the defining characteristic of the format, they should embrace it and just make a bunch more. Uh, I mean, this is not a sustainable scenario. Like, we can't have what we have right now, which is every deck play is a companion, but there's only See, four or five of them. Well, yeah, I, exactly. So I think I, I think it's fine. I mean, the, the, the format is still diverse, but if you view the companions as a necessity then the question becomes how many decks are pushed out by them not being companion decks. The answer so far seems to be it has a definite impact, but there are viable decks that don't use companions. Um, But if every week looked like this week, then I think they could turn the corner on it. Um, It could mean that they make the companion tax higher. But keep (laughs) keep in mind that they just reprinted Lurus uh in the pioneer challenger decks with the companion the new companion rules text Mm -hmm. so if they so if they change the rules text again (laughs) that would be a a companion that is 
incorrect on the surface when encountered. It does seem like uh, just banning them outright is more likely than uh, changing the cost again. Like, I don't, I really, I don't know what they're going to do, but I really don't think that Wizards can look at the current scenario and think that this is good for the format. Like, I think the format's good in spite of Commander and Companions, not because of it. I don't think they're the type of magic that, I don't think they're good in the way they want magic to be good. I just, I think they're bad across the board. So I'm very curious, I'm very curious whether ha- decks like Hammer Time and Four Color Yorion would even exist without their Companions. Um, one of the things that makes Hammer Time good in this format is the ability to, if a control deck uh, or Jund or something handles your early threats, you can lure us them back into play later. Yeah, but um, and you always have Lurus. It's not you have to, you don't have to draw into Lurus. You just have it waiting for you in, in the sideboard. So if you end up land heavy and threat light, you can cut conjure up your Lurus and get back to business. Yeah, but that's sort of the problem. Like, I, I mean, the other for other podcasts with very competitive minded players have done more to just speak on this. So I'm not going to repeat everything they've said. I will leave it to those guys. You should follow up on what they had to say back when they came out. The short version here is that I don't think companions make for good magic. I think it's the gameplay patterns are bad. The deck building is bad. It makes the metagame, makes the metagame worse. And if you, you can look at a deck like Hammer Time and go, I don't know if this would exist if without a, without Loris, but at the same time, how many decks don't exist because they can't find a profitable way to play companions. Uh, you know, Murktide being virtually the only um, archetype that's playable. No, no, no. Is, no. I see, it, see, that part I disagree with strongly. What, what, Murktide? Uh, Murktide? That, that's the only one. Well, I mean, we, we you just pointed out across two top eights that it's one of two. The only other no. archetype to not play a companion is Burn, but even some of the Burn decks no, play Lurus. No, and Living End. Uh, and that was Living just this in, there, I would argue, I see this differently, uh, as we've already established. I believe that the most important feature of a format like Modern is that you shake it up every once in a while and usher in a new era that preferably has a bunch of new decks so that the players will go through the process of jiggling around with their collections. They sell some stuff, they buy some stuff, they pick up the new stuff they need because you printed something like Modern Horizons 2, which is nothing but busted cards. And so the whole format gets thrown up in the air and settles back down and then they mess around in there in that sandbox for a year or two years and then you do something again to knock them off balance. Now, I think that on that basis, the basis of that viewpoint, you can still make the argument that there's a good case to be made for getting rid of the companions at some point. I don't think it's today, but you can start making that argument six months or 12 months from now if this is what we see every week. If if it's nothing but Yorion, Lurus, Kahira, Yorion, Lurus, Kahira, and very, very few decks are top aiding that don't use them, then it becomes a question, you have to make a, a secondary assessment, which is, okay, everyone is forced to use a companion, but is that a problem? Is, is it a, It's a problem if the format narrowed to two decks. So for instance, back during Eldrazi Winter, you basically had Tron and you had the Eldrazi decks and everything else was clearly so far behind the pace set by those two decks that they absolutely had to ban Eye of Ugin and, and shake shit up. But 
I'm not convinced that this format's in that place because there's enough diversity across the format where you have 15 or 20 archetypes that have top aided in the last three months. I think they're doing fine for now. If we look at this modern challenge on the, that was also on the 24th, I've got it listed here as on the 25th, but it was on the 24th. Um, and there was another one on the 23rd that we can touch on in a second. This one was Living End in first. That's not a companion deck. Dark Hammer Time, which is Lurus. Jund, which is Lurus. Four Color Yorion again, which is Yorion. Burn with and without Lurus in fifth and sixth. And then more Four Color Yorion in seventh and eighth. An argument can be can be made that the Four Color Yorion deck is emerging as clearly tier one, which didn't exist at all up until three months ago. I mean, Builds are 80 card decks with Yorion have existed since summer of 2020, but they have evolved over time. And I think that they've evolved that evolution, the five or six different shells that have been built around Yorion, including the fact that there's both a Jeskai Yorion control build here and a four color Yorion build with 80 cards that regularly finishes top three in big modern events. I think that's pretty cool. And then if we look at this, this challenge on the 23rd, uh, let me just uh, send you the link here because I didn't put it in our sheet. Um, yeah, this one here. The finals of this was Doom Wake versus Aspiring Spike. So like two major Twitch streamers going at it in the finals of this event. And Aspiring Spike ended up taking it down with uh, Esper Reanimator, which doesn't run any companion. So of the three major modern events of the weekend... Two of them were run by non one by non-companion decks. And this this archetype, the uh one that's built around basically a ton of MH2 cards, Faithful Mending, Archon of Cruelty, Grief, Maldrifter, Solitude, Persist, Prismatic Ending, and Unmarked Grave, was just conjured into existence because somebody working on the MH2 project decided, hey, you know what we could give a boost to in modern? Reanimator. And lo and behold, they handed us all the ingredients. Uh, I, I I think that we have fundamentally different ways of interpreting these results. That's what I think. I, I, I'm not sure that... I, I hear everything you're saying. I think that I disagree with the way that you are interpreting these this information. Frame, framing the data... we're. I agree. We're, we're seeing it differently. But let me let me spin it to you on this axis. What if they just said, modern is the companion format. We're going to print 20 more companions and every deck is expected to use one. We expect some decks might not, but this format will be defined by companions. Is that naturally a bad format? Yes. In your mind? It's bad magic. It's not is, what magic uh, has been and not what magic should be. See... It, not been agree should be depends on how healthy the format is overall i would argue that the years that of modern that preceded this era were worse i don't think modern's ever been this good but you're you are confusing you are drawing the conclusion that modern is good because you are saying modern is good because of companions but just because modern is good today it does not mean that it is a result of companions it can be good in spite of companions which I think is which I think is true. I think that that I don't think that it's good because of the companions. I don't think they're doing anything good for the format. I think you have very rich vein of cards in Modern Horizons 2 did a lot of cool stuff. And we are seeing a form of modern that happens to include companions, but it would be 
better if you got rid of them entirely. Interesting side point. Marrow put out a, some teasers for Crimson Vow and said something about there was going to be interacting, like removing something that had never been removed before. And I was wondering whether it was sideboard cards. Uh, well, did he say it, get, it? What exactly did he say? I saw his little Tumblr post, but I didn't look that closely. It was very nebulous, so I'm not sure the wording of it is really going to change much for us. And and there could easily be one of a million other things. It could be removing, interacting with emblems. It yeah. could be something much more, much more mundane. But that is one of the solutions. If they it, start printing, if they print a few cards that incidentally remove sideboard cards, then companions are probably less of a problem. I I bet that it. Yeah, I mean, if they print a card that says. Uh, do we? I don't think we have language for removing something from exile out of the game entirely. Well, and sideboards aren't exile, so they would have to be. There's probably a definition. And that, what that what zone do companions? What zone are companions in? They're in the sideboard. The companions are in the sideboard. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, they could do take. Um, yeah, I mean, they could print a card that says move target card in a sideboard into its player's graveyard or into its player's exile zone. You and can that, also just print cards that have stuff, incidentally, like um, cards from without the game cannot be added to your hand. I don't know what that means. It means that like something from exile or your sideboard could not be placed into your hand. In the same way that you have cards, white card, cards in white that say you can't search. Yeah, that would be terrible. Like that would be uh, that. Let me rephrase that. That would be uh, ineffective. Well, no, I'm saying it has to be incidental. Like you have to have a good white creature that's mm. playable on its own merits that happens to have this incidental hate. In the same way that Dothy Voidwalker is a three-two unblockable attacker that happens to hose the shit out of graveyards. Yeah, I mean they could absolutely add something along those lines that essentially makes it impossible to put companions in your hand. But if I had to take a guess, I would say there's already something that, uh, that prevents people from putting companions in their hand Um, without having looked, it might just not be quite strong enough. But I mean, that's, that's where like the, the incidental thing comes from is like, sure, this is works and is incidental, but like, it's so bad or it's, it's not strong enough that, it doesn't have a meaningful impact. Everyone's still able to play their companions because you just have to deal with that creature. And now you can play your companion because your companion is just always sitting there. You feel like you have all the time in the world before you have to worry about it. So moving us along here, companions are worth watching. They don't seem safe. Uh, you know, putting money into hot premium versions of Luris or Yorion certainly carry some risk. Uh, I don't know if when they will make a move on this stuff. They might just try to fix it through providing cards that interact with it. Um, they might try to fix it by adding more companions. They might get rid of the companion rule completely and nullify these cards. And they might do that further down the road, would be my guess, in an in a effort to shake up the format, which it will. Because... It makes people rethink all most of the archetypes. It also probably makes Blue Red Murktide the king for at least a little while, since it's the, the only deck that one of the only decks that wouldn't care at all. Uh, yeah, that would come out on top very quickly. But you know, people are 
for a living end. We've seen lots of living end at the top of the heap. Yeah, too. and burn would be good right away. But I mean, this is you know magic in the age of arena. Like people would have answers very very quickly. All right. So anyway, uh, modern still relatively diverse companions question mark problem. Uh, moving on to top paper movers of the week. Wand of Orcus extended art out of the uh, Adventurers of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, I was going to say AFC, but it's not. It's AFR. Uh, CBs that those come out of, uh, going from nine to eleven. These are up from three or four dollars over the last month, and that's uh, over zombie hype. Uh, Solitude out of Modern Horizons Two has emerged as you know a neck and neck contender for most important mythic in the set, alongside Ragavan, going from forty four to sixty two. I sold a German f- German foil Solitude. Is that right? German foil Solitude. Let me just double check. Solitude. Solitude. I can't remember what it's called in German. Uh, yeah, no, just non-foil German borderless for like 63. And it looks like the borderless stuff is headed for 70, 80, maybe even 90. The foils could be anywhere from 110 to 160 in the next little while. Seeing tons and tons of play in multiple shells in modern from the top five cards in the format. And sees plenty of EDH play as well, unlike Ragavan. So... Uh, it could be that the Renin 6 of this set is actually Solitude and not Ragavan. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is shaping up in that direction, that's for sure. Uh, we've got Hobgoblin Bandit Lord out of the uh, Ampersand promos for AFR, going from 46 to 70, 52% gains. Really just there as a representative of that whole class of cards slowly edging up as people realize how few of them are actually in the market and start to nibble away at them. And the occasional player actually tries to put together a set of them, which of course takes a whole, you know, a whole set off the market. Uh, We've got Grave Defiler out of Apocalypse. Foils going from 20 to 30. We already saw that on this list not so long ago, I think going 10 to 20 or something. And not long before that, it was a three or $4 card. This is on the back of zombie hype. Uh, Blade of the Blood Chief is forerunning the vampire hype for Crimson Vow. You've got those foils going from 23 to 40, 74% gains or so. And then Spreading Seas out of Zendikar, going, foils going 80 to like, I don't know. Could be anywhere from 120 to 160 would be my guess, if you can find a buyer. Now that they're that expensive. I mean, this is a foil common. Foil spreading seas being $100 offends every inch of my soul. <laughs> I like you. I'm, those were basically, those were draft chaff at one point. Those oh, were yeah. unpickable. You people would not pick them up off a table at all. For sure. But the, <sighs> the, re- the reality is that you've got, you know, a ton of targets that are relevant. You got to deal with Tron lands. You got to deal with Urza Saga and both the, the Yorion builds and in both blue, white and Jeskai flavors on the control side uh, and the non Yorion control builds. And then the uh, Yorion four color comes into play stuff. They're all using spreading seas and the foils have drained down to almost nothing on TCG. I think we're looking at, Sub 10 listings last I checked. Uh, one listing. One listing at $100, right? I think I have some of those. I must. When those came out, like, I remember when those, when the, the, the sort of tech was first revealed for that, and, like, people thought it was a joke. Like, 
spreading seeds. Are you kidding me? These aren't good. And then it was like, oh, Jund is playing nothing but non-basic lands and they don't happen to play blue. Like, oh, these are useful. Like, but it was, it was, it was goofy that that was useful at the time. Like it was kind of funny. Oh yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny because they were thought largely as a merfolk card for a long time. And now it's a centerpiece card in a variety of control and mid-range CIP strategies. So uh, yeah. If Merfolk ever came back to the forefront finally, which I could see like with Modern Horizons 3, they might go, all right, you tripled Eris. Here's some ridiculously good Merfolk. Yeah, we'll let you have some back again. We'll, we'll toss you one or two more. Well, I mean, uh, they tried with MH2, but didn't quite get there. True. I mean, they gave them three different things. There was Shot and Dock Hand, the, t- the Tidal Wave Runner, whatever it's called, and then the Lord, the... Uh, Merfolk God. And people fooled around with it. I think maybe we saw it top eight one week early on and it's just been fell off the radar. Yeah, I guess they uh they are trying. They just haven't been able to get it to work yet. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, spreading seas, exit is here. Take it if you got them. Uh Shivan Reef, ninth edition foils twelve to twenty-two. That's just ten year plus old set foil versions of a card they will definitely reprint again at some point sooner or later call the copper coats out of commander 2020 going from two to four dollars i'm not aware of anything specific that drove movement on this card no me neither i haven't heard anything about that Hmm. i mean i'm sure i'm sure if i dig into it on edh rack we can figure out which uh which commander uses it most often uh, Vampiric Rites out of BFC, uh, foils going from 450 to 10, probably on the back of Vampire hy- Hype, although this is kind of a weird one because it interacts reasonably well in the Vampire decks, but it doesn't have specific Vampire Tribal synergies. So it felt like a bit of a stretch to me, but it may well get there. Haunted Crossroads out of Mercadian Mass going from 16 to 38, 140% gains. Also not a card that's that's on my radar most days. I'm not even sure it's got any kind of profile on EDH Rec. Crossroads, probably looking at something very mild, like 1,700 decks total. It's a enchantment for two and a black. For one black, put target creature from your graveyard on top of your library. Yeah, Haunted Crossroads is great. I, vamp, vampiric rates. There are several vampires that want you to lose to have to to have lose creatures, um, like patron of the blood lord. Right is one of them. Um, so you can definitely build a sub theme, and then you also have blood like artist. yeah. Uh, well, there, there's blood artist, right? Blood artist is one of them, but you have the patron of the vein. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, that's whenever a creature and opponent control dies. Sorry, but there are you, you have several aristocrat type cards. Blood celebrant is that one of them? Um, so you could build a, a, a sacrifice sub theme into your vampire deck and it also says vampiric. So if, if, if someone chooses to go that route, uh, haunted yeah. crossroads, also excellent card, uh, that people probably don't use enough. Those foils says they're at 25, 30. Let's see how many are actually in stock foils. There's 10 total and near mint ones are 40 bucks. That's like reasonably a buy. It's interesting that that's a that's a single printing card. Yeah, that's why it would be a buy. Twenty years later. Yep. 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 Uh, I I, then, I sold on that note. Uh, Steely Resolve. Have you ever heard of that enchantment? Oh yeah. Yep. I just sold uh, a foil of that for ninety dollars. I think that was a pick of yours some ways back. 
Probably. I mean, I had owned a bunch a long time ago, uh, and it was still too cheap, and now it's worth a fortune. And if it had gotten reprinted, it probably wouldn't have gotten there, but somehow I managed to dodge it all these years, and I would well, imagine... It's going to keep dodging it, because shroud is not a is not a word in their vocabulary anymore. Yeah, and Haunted Crossroads seems like it'd be printable, but they still haven't, and until they do, probably not going to go down. Strangle Root Geist tops the list this week. Foils from uh, Dark Ascension, 3 to $10. That's on the back of Yawgmoth combo in Modern Demand, just draining it out. And moving on to top Magic Online movers of the week. Wheel of Misfortune from Commander Legends, going from 3.5 ticks to about 5 ticks. That's 50% gains on the back of EDH play. Archon of Cruelty and Persist are next on the list because of the Asper Reanimator deck that Aspiring Spike won with on the weekend. Archon going from almost 7 ticks to 13 ticks, so 95% gains. Uh, and then Persist went from 1.12 ticks to 2.4, 114% gains. It's getting to the point where you can keep an eye on these these weekend tournaments and uh, in paper, and you might start to see similar kind of movement we got a SEG con coming up soon, and there's Channel Fireball Big Modern event coming up. Mm. Uh, going to be very curious to see if they move any cardboard. I mean, uh, we'll probably get a little bit, yeah. Concealed Courtyard is the other one here at Okaladesh, uh, going from $2.5 to 5.7 ticks, or 2.5 ticks to 5.7 ticks. That's on the back of Dark Hammer Time, and I thought it would be worthwhile to take another look at the Concealed Courtyard uh, foils, because if people echo this in paper, uh, this is a single printing card that's five plus years old now, right? Five years? I guess five years exactly. Strangle Root Guys is... No, no, no. Concealed Courtyard Foils. Oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So take a look at this. Concealed Courtyard Foils on TCG are down to $15, one copy, then nine, two copies at 19 another copy at 19 four copies at 19 and you're done. Tell me those aren't a buy. Hmm, that does seem pretty good. Because if the Hammer Time players are all adapting uh, Dark Confidant and moving to running four copies of this... This this has already run its course for the most part, and you're just kind of mopping up. Yeah, these could e- these could easily be forty dollar foils soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So moving on to cards to watch, I'm going to kick things off with a card I was surprised wasn't on our list at any point this year already. Um, Archmage's Charm OBFs out of MH2, uh, what Travis would call Modern Horizons one cards. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be the only one. There are other people who agree with this viewpoint. But the yeah, bottom line is, well, you we, can only we had a real can... uh, a real conversation about that kickoff in the Discord when I mentioned that. <laughs> the bottom line is this: the Modern Horizons one cards that were reprinted as old border foils are only available in Modern Horizons two products, specifically the collector booster boxes. So while set and draft booster boxes continue to be cracked in volume and that inventory dumped on TCG Player and other major platforms across the world, the collector booster boxes are being opened at a not nearly as brisk of a pace. Um, They're expensive to open. They're easy to sell. They're already commanding $350 plus price tags. They're probably going to dry up and become $400 400 to $500 sealed product in the next year, I would guess. And as a result, I think any of these highly played OBFs, the time is now. Like, you, you don't need to wait on any of this stuff. Especially given that Archmage's Charm is a blue-white Jeskai control staple in Modern. 
often a four of. It's the 17th most played card in the format overall. And there are just 23 near mint listings left on TCG for this version of the card. So to say that this card's going to go 25 to 50 in the year seems very safe to me. Well, it is without a doubt uh, quite a potent card, pretty popular in modern. Um, it, everything here looks good. The only, the, you know, the only question is: is our old border foils as popular as you want them to be? They seem like they're not quite as much as I like them, but that doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that you know it's going to take you slightly longer to get there than than we might have initially thought. But I mean, twenty five bucks for the old border foils here—that's about the floor for for the old border foils we've seen for basically anything that's playable. Um, and this is an extremely playable card. So grabbing these, uh, hanging out with them, just, you know, just waiting for your time, whether it's going to be several months, maybe it'll be two years, but you're going to get there with these old border foils for sure. Right, but we're at 23 listings. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's low. That's low. I mean, like most of them don't have deep inventory, right? Cause they're pretty rare to begin with. Well, Wait, no, the, the, these have been, well, keep, this has drained heavy. Like this, these were over 120 listings like two or three months ago. Two or three months ago, there were that many old border foil Archmage's yeah. Charms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is only a rare, not a mythic. Well, if they're if they have moved that many copies that rapidly, then yeah, I mean for sure. Well, we can. I mean, we can look at the sales data just on the twenty sixth of October. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six copies sold. And that wait, did you say that was today? Yeah. Yeah. Today, now keep in mind there was a ten percent uh, uh, credit. <coughs> bonus today on TCG. Oh, that's so, today. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But even if you go back to the 23rd prior to that, you've got, you know, you're averaging one to three copies a day. <laughs> I, I I knew that that was coming up. I don't think I caught that it was today, uh, which would explain why I lo- looked up a couple of these cards and I was like, oh my God, this sold how many cards copies today? Sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely worth flagging that 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 is a factor there that probably skews my interpretation a little bit here because i'm like the one card i was talking i was looking at sold like a hundred copies today and i'm like are you kidding me that's like the entire like this cannot resupply its entire inventory every single day this is great pick but maybe that's why well we'll get into that in a minute (laughs) bottom line archmage's charm obfs they are gonna go up (laughs) there's they're not that easy to pull uh and I would argue if by the time you hear this, you're hunting around and you're having trouble with the old border foil, I would take another look at the etched. The etched do not look as good as the old border foils, in my opinion, but I think that once they're in sleeves, it doesn't matter that much. And one of the nice things about the etched that should not be underestimated is that for competitive play, they don't bend. They're foils you can table that don't bend. So there are going to be some competitive players that go, yeah, I'm not really all that big big on aesthetics, but I like them to be a little fancy, so... I got these etched ones because they were a little cheaper and I don't have to worry about my deck being marked. Yeah, even if they're ugly, there will still be a... Sub- There's enough people that play Magic that a subset of people that will like them and buy them. Uh, and so the- they will have a place. All right, so what's your first selection? Um, I'm going to start with uh, a pretty basic... Well, I should say basic. Uh, one that doesn't have a lot of meat on the bone but will work for a couple people, which is the Elves of Deep Shadow FNM promo. This is Elves of Deep Shadows and 30,000 EDH rec decks. It is not a particular, uh, it is still a particularly popular card, but somehow it's mostly dodge a lot of most reprints for the most part. Um, there's not not much in the way of copies of this card out there. Uh, you would expect there to be more, 
Um, a quick look here. There's like a Guilds of Ravnica kit. There's a Mystery Booster printing. Uh, the original dark printing, but like not just generally not a lot. The FM promo is the best version. The uh, Ravnica printing just kind of like the art's not terrible, but I don't think it's going to be compelling. The FM promo is kind of nifty looking, um, distinct at least. And additionally, it's not the only foil because there's the original pack foils, but it is like a cool FM promo that you won't really see again. So I have no doubt that we will see Elves of Deep Shadow again in foil eventually but it will probably not be anything terribly remarkable and this will still be the original fnm promo of it which holds definitely holds value um right now these are about 45 dollars, and there's like one or two on tcg player at that price there's like seven total vendors this did hit a peak earlier this year it was like 95 dollars, just about close to 100 bucks for these back in like april or may and it has come down since then uh and it looks like we've just about hit the floor for these i expect them to go back up i think we're basically right around the floor um so it bounced I would now that we're at the basement, I would be getting back in at these at these sub fifty dollar prices because I think you'll be able to out them at 80, 90, 100 later on. Uh, you know, for a frame of reference, I sold Korean Ranger FNM promos at like I think I sold them at like three hundred dollars or something like that. I don't remember. It was some ludicrous number. This is not Korean Ranger, but it's still going to be a popular FNM promo that will be able to command a pretty hefty price tag, triple digits down the road. Card Kingdom buy list support is at 28 cash, 36 credit. I think the play here is actually in Europe because over there you can still get copies under $30. Ooh, that uh, seems real good. Which is 15 or 20 below the U.S. thing. So you might want to update update the sheet to reflect the, the Europe thing and then you'll have an auto win instead of uh, us waiting around for the last seven listings on TCG to tip the scales. I also think this, is a, this one is a bit of a, a tricky one for us to claim because there's only six copies under $50 even available on TCG player. Yeah. So, yeah. It's and then, it's, and then it jumps pretty hard. So. It's, it's not like I'm being especially insightful here. I just see a card that's like very low supply at a price. Mop that it seems ready to move. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I give credit to our listeners that they probably, everyone probably has one or two places that they like to go check that maybe they think nobody else knows about. Uh, yep. So, you know, if you find them in your little stores, they're, I think they're worth it. Yeah, so it sounds like a mop-up operation, and uh, Europe and Japan are probably the the easiest place again because they, this is mostly an EDH card and cube card, and those are not regions known for their love of uh, those kind of cards. Nope. So my next selection for this week is Arid Mesa, uh, old border foils out of MH2. You can get these as cheap as thirty dollars. $32 currently, uh, and that was probably pumped up a little bit by um, the sale, the 10% the credit bonus. So you could expect it to fade a little bit, uh, I would imagine, as some stock gets restocked, maybe push it back down into the high 20s in the near future before it, in my opinion, starts a slow, inevitable climb up into the $50 to $60 range. This is a top 20 modern land. Uh, it's in 10% of all Boros decks in EDH, 74,000 decks registered on EDH rec. And honestly, it being in only 10% of Boros decks is either is either incorrect factually or people are wrong in the way that they're building their decks. 
especially now that the card is pretty cheap in non-foil version. It's just 65 listings left for the OBFs on TCG, and again, that was up over 100 not that long ago. So you're seeing like the OBFs, the good OBFs from MH2 across the board under pressure within the first six months. That's a very good sign. It reminds me of the enemy fetches when they appeared in Modern Masters 2017, and everybody said, yeah, these are going to be low forever now, blah, 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 and then six months later they had re recovered. This recovery might take 12 months, not six months, hard to say, but the, f the fanciest versions of these are never going to be any less fancy, and the idea of having your burn deck trick out for eternity uh, with old border foil arid maces seems pretty good to me, especially given that you can use old border versions of several of the cards in that deck, and the deck is not is so cheap that anybody who's playing it over a long period of time tends to trick it out just because it's relatively cheap to do so. I mean, any of the old border foil fetches uh, are by, we were a little too early on them. Obviously I think we were both in that boat. Uh, I don't, you know, I think we both walked away with several uh, scalding turns and Missy Rainforest at like a hundred bucks and they're down towards like 70 or 80 now, if not a yep. little cheaper. Definitely. Um, but that's fine. That's fine. We're if we're at the floor, then then great. Buy at the floor because th these are all going to be solid. Arid Mesa, absolutely. His, I mean, that's always kind of trailed down at the bottom. I think that and Verdant Catacombs are are at the um uh, towards the bottom of the group. But it doesn't matter. They're all still really popular. This will this will continue to be the best version of Arid Mesa for some people forever forever like they're just they're always going to want this version so that's awesome and plenty of people will also really enjoy it i just think in general all the fetches in old border foil are probably great buys now that we're at the floor all right so moving along to your next pick um <clears throat> all, all of my you'll, you'll notice all of my picks here are on slightly longer time frames the elves of deep shadow maybe not so much but the rest of them are but uh that doesn't mean they're bad the next one is shalai Sh voice of plenty uh, I'm looking at the secret layer copies. So there was the, this is part of the black is magic product that was released. The secret layer that was released back in February for black history month. And these are borderless promos. Uh, it's in 20,000 EDH rec decks. Shalai uh, is the 30th most popular creature this week. So out of all creatures played, 30th most highest percentage inclusion. So uh, she's a green white. She's not uh, Selesnia colors. So it's not like a monocolor creature, which can get more decks. But still, the card sees significant play today, um, even you know a couple of years past Dominaria. The secret layer copy is awesome. Um, it's a really good borderless. The art looks great. Um, it is probably going to be the best version of this card for a long time. It also has some additional value in being a culturally relevant card, um, which is which will help as well. And these are nine bucks. The cheapest copy of this is nine bucks for these old border foils, which are not. I'm sorry, not old border foils. The borderless foils, which is real good stuff. Um, oh wait, you know what? I clicked. Sorry, that was the. Uh, yeah, ten, ten dollars, ten dollars for the foils, and there's not even that deep a supply on these. There's twenty two vendors, and several people have have double digits, ten and thirty, twenty. You know, there's some chunks out there, but all it's not that deep. And the secret layer was released in February, so it's been eight months. These these are all in people's hands. 
the inventory is is basically at its peak, right? I don't see why it would could possibly go up from here. So it's gonna take some time to burn through these copies, but these will absolutely jump from 10 up to 25, maybe 20, 10, 20 25, maybe even $30 in the next year, maybe two years. Um, so supply's good, get in while the getting's good. One of your better picks in a while, I think. I forgot this card existed at all. I have some of these sitting on my shelf because I have some sealed uh, versions of this set. Um, yeah, everything about this is great. I got nothing to say that you didn't already say. Fantastic art, foils available, steep ramp. Some vendors have them posted at 20, and then there's some that have them at 10. And, the ten, and keep in mind that that the reason you get these so cheap is because there's a bunch of other good cards in this set and people bought this set uh, at a price that allows them to break them up and sell them, sell the singles for a profit pretty easily, even if they price this at 10. But that doesn't mean that the intrinsic long-term value of the card is anywhere near 10. As you said, it's a very popular card. It's very, it's almost an auto include in the attracts a counters building builds where you're, playing a mixture of creatures and planeswalkers because that build of attracts that you tend to lean on the proliferate more and giving the creature the planeswalkers and you and creatures you control all hex proof is super super handy in, in that build as is adding counters to everything and then proliferating at the end of that turn so yeah this is great uh and i think a lot of people will stumble over it years too late and end up paying 20 30 40 dollars a copy yeah and i like a ten dollars is such a great price point because it gives you room to triple up and people will still gladly play pay thirty dollars for a very cool version of this in two years yep agreed great pick um all right i'm gonna go for something that i think whose main issue is that it is an obscure version and i think this is where we we talk about what it means when somebody doesn't even know a version exists um, one of the instances of this that comes to mind is the lunar calendar, like lunar new year, Chinese treasure token promo that we talked about a few years back where I was like, I don't know, am I supposed to go super deep on these at like $20? It feels like they're going to be worth a lot more down the road. And these days that treasure token is worth some obscene amount of money on TCG player. I think it's like, let me just see. Most expensive treasure tokens gotta be. Uh, oh, can't find it, which is one of the problems with TCG Player is that you often have uh, trouble finding. There it is. They're up to one hundred and eight dollars market price. <laughs> so the answer to my earlier question was yes, yes, you were supposed to go deep. Uh, there's only one listing near mint, two hundred and twenty dollars. <laughs> and I, I remember being at a gp with you and walking by one of the booths and one of the vendors had a st like a little stack of these and in, in a in a uh plastic case that they had gotten from their contacts overseas and i think they had like 20 of them and they wanted 24 a piece or something and i balked at the time because i was like ah it's so niche i don't know if i'm gonna be able to move it so all of this is my roundabout way of getting around to the Japanese graphic novel insert version of Counterspell. You find this under the media promos uh, category on TCG Player, which means that for anybody who doesn't search the word Counterspell and click Magic the Gathering, they are likely going to miss it. 
It is a counterspell in Japanese using older counterspell art. It's in foil using a modern frame. There are 12 listings left near Mint. They're about anywhere from $13 to $16. And once they dry up, they will be nearly impossible to get. The, the only place to get these is there are manga that are sold in Japan, and there's a Magic Cross promotion where they... For certain issues of the manga, they put in uh, a magic card. And you have to buy the sealed manga, unwrap it, open it, and pull out the card. Now, I have some of the these, but not the counter spells. Somebody, my contact in Japan, got me the uh, one of the green cards. I can't remember which one it is. Um, Regrowth or something was one of the mm. promos last year. And they, they are equally hard to come by. Uh, no, it was crop rotation. Crop rotation is in a oh, similar cool. similar boat. There's 12 listings of those left on TCG Player as well, starting at about $18. And you're never going to see these versions again. Like this is just, these are one-time marketing promotions that are not all that unlike the original Mana Crypt release with the Magic novels. And Counterspell is the ninth most played modern card right now. Pretty funny to reflect back on our conversation with Daniel Fournier early on when we were like, well, you know, Modern Horizons 2, what do we think about this? Counterspell, legal, and modern. Is that going to matter? And he was like, ah, you know, we have Archmage's Charm and Cryptic Command. I don't think you're going to play more than one or two copies. Here we are with Counterspell in the top 10. 154,000 decks recorded on EDH Rec, which makes it the fifth most popular card in EDH period over the last month. Um, so premium versions of counterspells have been gaining ground, uh, and there are a bunch of different options. So I think one of the issues with a pick like this is obscurity. I think the other one is, uh, a prevalence of other options because they printed counter, knowing that they were going to make it legal and modern, they printed it in Commander Legends and they printed it in Modern Horizons 2 and they gave it to us in a mystical archive. So we have not one, but three fancy versions of Counterspell. Two foil, one foil extended art, one foil borderless, and one, no, two foil uh, mystical archives because there's the English edition, which comes in multiple languages. And then there's the Japanese alt art version. And I think those are already going for 40 or 50 bucks a piece. Hmm. So there are lots of fancy counter spells you could put in your deck. Is it worth going after this Japanese one? I think it's a supply side play. It's the kind of thing where I, I don't want to have 100 copies of this, but I would happily pick up a playset, flip the playset when the TCG price you know, slowly drains out and, and put, makes it go from, say, 14 to 26, 28, 30, and then flip it a year, maybe two years out, and double up. It's it's a weird card uh, that very few people are really very few people are going to know exists and even fewer will want to own copies of. But if it's this rare and this funky, like it will absolutely have its adherence. And like you can buy these at 15 or 20 dollars now and maybe they're 70 dollars in a year or two. I don't know. Uh, I mean, your your 25 or 30 dollars is probably conservative, honestly. Like I think if the price moves up, it probably moves up to something stupid because there's just gonna be they're gonna be impossible to source. Yeah, I mean, argument can be made they're harder to come by than the ampersand promos just because they were only distributed in Japan and a lot of them just got absorbed into collections or thrown out. 
Yeah, these foreign promos, like people, like you can't find them the way that you can find other like low inventory cards because there's just so few that make it over here to this side of the to the planet. Um, yeah, weird cards. You probably not not a not a high, not high liquidity. Not a lot of people are going to know they exist. Not a lot of people are going to want them. But those that will will definitely pay the money for them because they're really going to like them and there won't be any to be bought. So they'll pay for them. All right. What's your final selection? Uh, I'm going to say this was another one that's a bit of a sleeper, a, a longer term play, but Storm Kiln Artist out of Strixhaven. Still standard legal, I believe, uh, but nobody's really drafting this as far as I know. This is the four mana two two. Um, it gets one O for each artifact you control, but that's relevant. The important thing here is that every time you cast an insert or sorcery, you get a treasure token. And we know that treasure tokens are firmly in red. Um, I think they form they some whatever formally, semi-formally announce that uh treasure tokens are not white. They are now they're completely out of white and they're now fully in red. Uh, obviously people are gonna go nuts. Any sort of treasure treasure based stack is gonna be red, and if you're building anything with treasure, this guy is going in it. because uh, you want to make treasure tokens. So there are currently 68 plus one vendors selling foil copies of this card. And no one's got too deep of a supply. You know, uh, one guy's got 15, another two people are like 15. So there's some some supply here, but for a standard uncommon, like you're looking at like a hundred-ish foil copies on TCG player. That's not that many overall. Uh, 15 copies sold, 15 foil copies sold today. Now, this comes back to the, oh yeah, there was that 10% sale that I forgot about. So yeah. probably doesn't sell 15 copies a day normally. Oh, let's just go back a couple of days. We can see that, that stat. Let me just look. I don't want to look. I just want to say that it sold 15 today and then pretend that I don't know what was the previous days. <laughs> it actually sold, it sold a shit ton of copies today. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no huge walls. I don't know when you would see a reprint, especially in foil anytime soon. Like, right? Like they just put it in a standard set. You're not going to see more of these come through. Uh, it's actually the 14th most popular red creature in EDH. Like red creatures, number 14, Stormkill Nardist. People play this card. Uh, and they're three bucks for the foils. So I think you start throwing these in your cart every time you check out uh, and build up a little supply. And in a year-ish, year and a half, these could be 10 or 15 bucks just because they're going to be really popular. And why would Wizards print this card again within two years? Yeah, plenty of these got pulled out of Strixhaven collector booster boxes. But once the gaming company stops dumping... Uh, the results of those, and I think that's already probably a, a past issue for this set. You're going to see these slowly build up. I, I like this on an 18-month horizon because foil uncommons take a while. But, uh, especially when they don't see like four of modern play, and this never will. This is a single format thing. It's a oh, yeah. cube slash EDH. However, as you said, very good stats in EDH. Uh, creating a treasure token off every instant or sorcery cast means that it's a viable candidate to be included in any Spells Matters deck. They're going to keep giving us Spells Matters commanders. Keep in mind, we have Commander Legends uh, 2 coming out in the first half of next year. So, you know, the Commander train keeps trucking, especially now that we get Commander decks with every set. Blah, blah, blah. I like it. 
Uh, I think you're right. You go ahead and snap these off. You wait a year or two, and you're going to be getting a triple or a quad. And I'm willing to bet that the the Byla support will catch up at some point too. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we're not quite there. Uh, see what CK has to say about it. Yeah, they're not looking for foils yet. Uh, but even non-foils, non-foils they're taking at 80 cents. What is the what is the non-foil price for these on TCG player right now? I can't say that I really looked. It's a dollar dollar fifty even for the non-foils. Bottom line, you see these lying around, or you got these out of boxes you opened from Strixhaven. Put them aside because they're probably if you got a foil out of your CB and you're upset that you didn't pull a demonic tutor, you're gonna want to recoup that ten bucks down the road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right, yeah, I think that's that's solid solid selection. The of, the other uh, cards there. The secret fourth card that I did not uh, write down on the spreadsheet here. And uh, the reason I didn't write it down on the spreadsheet is because really it's, it's I don't know if I can call it a pick because we've talked about it a couple times before, but I just wanted to bring it to the forefront again is, um, uh, wait, shoot. I didn't write it down. Now I forgot the stupid name of it. Uh, as for Sentinel, just just the most basic version of this is that because you talked about this not that long ago and i'll be honest i did not search the sheet uh which one which version were you yeah, talking about and well i'm sure it was foil uh showcase and showcase and really like it wouldn't come as any surprise to any of our pro traders because esper sentinel was flagged early on as this is going to be a big deal and it's been talked about the entire time and tons of us have tons of them so yeah, I mean Esper Sentinel is already at like seventeen bucks a copy, and it's headed for thirty, like I I originally said it would. I don't see. I know you have talked about this. Uh. There's no way it was this long ago. Esper Sentinel, I first mentioned non foils at eleven. Episode 275, June 8th, to go 11 to 30. With that and that, okay. Well, I I think I got, I got again, this is me a little bit getting got by that sale today, uh, which, which skews my numbers a little bit here. But I counted over a hundred copies of that card sold today. <laughs> it was, and it was, a, it was, it was like 96 sales and a bunch of those were multiple copies. And those were just near mint. So there's still a decent inventory on this card, but like that is a huge chunk of copies that sold today in ones and twos and fours. Uh, and that card, that card's going to be $35. And I, I think it's probably going to be next year. The game of EDH I played with Pro Traders on the weekend. First few turns went something like, Two players dropped Ristic Study, I dropped Smothering Tide, and the other player dropped Esper Sentinel. And then the, the game was in harmony again. <laughs> like, it, if you've got a card that can that can put you toe-to-toe with Ristic Study and Smothering Tide, you're doing fine. Yeah, absolutely. So I just, you know, I, I'm not being clever or unique or special here, and I'm very, very well aware of that. I just wanted to bring it to people's attention. Like just how many copies sold today and even if it sold i mean 
like obviously a ton of copies sold today on TCG Player that wouldn't have sold otherwise, but like over it was probably a hundred and fifty copies sold today. So like, I mean, on a normal day, what's it sell like ten or twenty? Even well, on the low end. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is that it's still valid in the sense that it's a strong market signal that the market is expecting this card to continue to rise. And yeah. was, you know, when they were trying to make their list of what should I, what card would I, do I want multiples of at a 10% discount? I'm not surprised that this made a lot of people's list. I mean, you still got 150 listings left here. And again, you're going to see pallets and pallets of regular boxes of MH2 continue to get cracked because the people that have access to them at distributor pricing can pretty easily make their bones back, especially with Solitude and Ragavan soaring. They're, it's not too hard to pull a, a strong Mythic and pay for a solid chunk of a box. And then stuff like this and Saga and, and um, you know, the variety of borderless and, and non-foil uh retro frame fetch that can only be found in the set and regular boxes it's a very 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 good set like just to take a look at that esper reanimator deck where the deck doesn't exist without this these boxes being in circulation uh, uh, honestly the fact that uh the the biggest slam against this card may simply be that that set is already so good to begin with that people are going to keep cracking boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think regulars, like, I don't know that you're ever going to see Sentinels at 10 again, but they, it could be prevented from hitting 30 in a hurry from the continual cracking. It's just a regular rare. Like you have a very good chance of pulling one in a box. So you'll, I think it's going to be one of those slow, steady gainers where it's not going to show up on our list as being a 50% gainer in any given week, but we're going to, flag it at some point 6 12 18 months down the road as being a 30 dollar plus card and that will have been you know the death of a thousand cuts yes that that's precisely what will happen and i don't think that it's going to plummet in price or, or or whatever based on additional copies getting cracked boxes getting cracked it's just going to slow way down essentially it's just not gonna be able to climb as quick as you'd want it to Speaking of which, I think it's about time I uh, made an offer on one of these Russian foil pre-release Esper Sentinels because there's probably like 12 of them in the world. Yeah, I can't imagine there's a lot of those. I mean, there's not 12, but there's a couple of hundred, maybe. Maybe. There might be less than 100. Maybe. And I think that's going to need to go in one of my decks. Alrighty, so we move on over to our topic of the week. Hasbro released their third quarter financials, and uh, they recently lost their CEO, um, who uh, who passed away at a relatively young age. Ex CEO, I thought. Was it X? No, I think. I, I didn't think that he was the. I think acting. he had. Yeah, I think he had stepped away like just prior. Like, oh. Him stepping away from his role and then passing away was a relatively short period, like weeks or months. Oh, uh, so yeah, it was a fairly big deal, but it doesn't seem to have affected the Hasbro engine much at all. The third quarter 2021 revenues were up 11% to $1.97 billion. Entertainment segment revenue was up 76%. This is Hasbro working on media projects, TV shows for kids, licensing stuff, uh, content for YouTube, 76%. 
somebody is getting bonused hard this Christmas. That is an impressive uh, advancement, especially given that Hasbro had trouble with this before. Back down the road, they had formed a studio. The name escapes me off the top of my head. But the studio's projects were things like the Battleship movie. And they had been talking about a Monopoly movie. Like, just bad, bad ideas. Um, Oh, did they get rid of those? I hope they didn't get rid of those. (laughs) I don't know what the fate of the Monopoly project is. The Battleship movie's long since been out um, and was a total, very weirdo disaster. The... But bottom line is, for their entertainment segment to be up that much is very impressive. They said that their Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming segment revenue was up 32%. Now, keep in mind, that's all Wizards of the Coast. So that also includes Dungeons & Dragons, which is surging hard. You've got Critical Role that just launched their latest campaign and had tens of thousands of people watching on opening night last week. The They've got a cartoon coming out on Amazon in February or something like Wizards is getting like we talked about how bad that commercial was earlier in the cast contrasted how smart the critical role team has been this is a bunch of people voice actors in Hollywood that took their local D&D game and turned it into a media empire was it actually like their local D&D game yeah yeah, yeah. like they were playing before critical role and just and then and they they had pitched geek and sundry I believe uh, Felicia Day's uh, st- um, production group and m- their first bunch of episodes were under Geek and Sundry and then they got so popular they realized that they should just leave and they took their I, I suppose had uh, a contract that made meant that they retained rights to their IP which boy were they fortunate on that side of things because when they split off and then started expanding they've done nothing but grow 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 like that I think that cartoon was a 20 million dollar kickstarter or something wow and it looks like they're gonna the the commercial for it is so much better than what we just watched for magic um you know it's gonna be a a major hit and they also have toy deals they have merchandising deals they have ridiculous amounts of sponsorship you probably spotted that twitch uh data leak not too long ago where they were talking about yeah, yeah. how much the various properties made and uh the numbers for critical role were very impressive in the many millions of dollars it was, so, it was like 20 million or something wasn't it yeah and that's separate from the kickstarter thing now right. keep in mind they have a fairly like staff intense operation like they have they're running a tv show weekly basically so they have a bunch of people they employ so 20 million isn't that much if you have 10 15 20 staff but still they're doing very 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 well for themselves so D is right is you know ascendant alongside magic but even still these are still very impressive numbers they also said that consumer product segment was actually down three percent which makes sense because there's still large portions of the world where people can't shop in person all that ably um and of course uh toys r us uh, being bankrupt in the U.S. hasn't helped Hasbro any. Well, I noticed that the one thing that they kind of kept repeating in their discussion here was like the, the global supply chain is fucked. Uh, makes it yeah. real hard to sell a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. But I mean, we, they, they mentioned that the Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming segment, like Q3 2020 was $273 million, And in Q3 2021, it was $360 million. So they're up roughly 90 million on the year. That's very impressive. And this 
brings us back full circle to this whole concept of all the stuff that magic has done, how magic is not magic the way it used to be. We have companions, we have collector booster boxes, we have secret layers, we have all, they're selling too much through Amazon, this, that, and the other. Everyone's always claiming the sky is falling. People need to take a deep breath, take a big step back, and realize that some of the people over at Hasbro know what the fuck they're doing. Uh, Okay, I have a big problem with that, because just because they made more money this quarter does not mean they're making smart decisions for the long-term health of the game. One would be inclined to say that 75% growth in a quarter is an indication that you might be doing something very wrong. I mean... It's great for the shareholders, but like, uh, what did you have to do to pull this off? Because that's not normal. Valid questions, uh, for sure. But I would argue that what they've done is they have changed the the average uh, revenue per sale for this brand and Dungeons and Dragons. Greatly expanding the product mix to include a variety of different price points and discovering that there was an upscale portion of their market that had been previously untapped. Taken from that top-down perspective, that executive-level perspective, it is not surprising to me that we're seeing these kinds of numbers. It does not mean you're going to see this growth every quarter. It doesn't mean that magic won't stall out near this level and show relatively minor growth. It's just something you want to keep an eye on quarter over quarter, year over year, but the bottom line is, they, these brands did really, really well during the pandemic. And that's not the first time we've seen Magic do well during economic trouble. Back in 2008, 2009, I also flagged that coming out of that recession, Magic had done really, really well. That was actually a major growth period for Magic as well. And any brand like that that does well in and out of economic turmoil is absolutely a brand to watch. They're, they're like alcohol. Uh, yeah, well, they do. <laughs> but you're not, that's, that's not even wrong. That's completely right. Movie ticket sales outside of COVID, uh, cigarettes, alcohol, collectibles do well in these scenarios because families shut down their spending budget. They couldn't go on vacation. They were buying new cars, et cetera, et cetera. And so that disposable income gets redirected to impulse purchasing. And this is an industry to be in lately. It's hard to argue that Hasbro and Wizards are not doing well. Now, will they continue to do well forever? Are, have they made some decisions that are going to hurt these brands in the long run? Time will tell. But so far, they're looking real good. They also, it's one of the things that is worth flagging is that when they break down their brand portfolio, they have a segment called Hasbro Gaming that they show going from $240 million a quarter to $200 82 million a quarter but that's not actually where the magic stuff is that's like a bunch of random board games and and stuff franchise brands is where they house magic and monopoly and a couple of other things and they talk about that in terms of being uh total all gaming revenue being up 21% from the respective period last year to a total of $660 million. And if you cross-reference that to the Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming numbers going from 273 to 360, Magic is pretty likely to be approaching a billion-dollar brand. Revenue per year. Yeah. Yeah, that is a lot of money. I don't think... 
most people would pin magic as being worth a billion dollars. Especially be, if you've been around for a while. Interpreting these numbers, it could be that they... It's hard to know the exact number here because of the way that they structure these these um, these details. But the it's possible that it's still uh, somewhere like a six to $700 million a year brand. All in, including Arena, Magic Online, and Paper. Uh, and any branding, licensing agreements, etc. And then D&D would make up... And Monopoly would, would make up big, big chunks of that, depending on which split out you're looking at here the but i remember talking about magic back when we were doing research for shelf life like almost a decade ago where numbers at a bloomberg had the brand pinned closer to 250 or 300 million Mm -hmm. so they've at minimum doubled the brand in the interim which is a very solid result I mean, <laughs> like secret layers and stuff like that. Being, I mean, just being able to drive the amount of money they make per card from like less than a penny to probably several dollars is <laughs> like, you know, you're talking about what, like multiple magnitudes of profit on a per card basis. Like that's hard to complain about. Like from their exact, someone got a very big bonus uh, when they saw the numbers on those secret layers the first time. Whoever's baby the secret layer project was, yeah, they deserved a big bonus because they made them a lot of money. And that and that gravy train is going to keep on giving. I keep pressing the the point in the Discord that eventually we're either going to get the secret layer membership program that they had uh, polled people about last year. Or we're going to get some form of premium secret layers that they'll start to release where they're going to be like, people were saying something in the Discord today about, you know, what if uh, Jeweled Lotus is going to show up again in Commander Legends this spring? And I said, you know what? I don't think they'll do that. Like, I think they're going to say, like, let that one fester as a ridiculously expensive card for a while. They'll give you something else, some other ridiculously great card for Commander in that set as the set piece, and you'll be chasing that one instead. Um, But... Those, that's the kind of card where they can go, okay, uh, Foil Extended Art Jeweled Lotus goes for like $700 on TCG Player. How about we do a Seb McKinnon uh, Soul Ring Arcane Signet Jeweled Lotus 3-pack, and it's $299 Secret Lair. And the printing cost of those, as you said, will be like $0.14, cents, and the profit margin will be in the tens of thousands, like hundreds of thousands of percentages. Mm, it's, it's, it's disgusting. To be perfectly honest, and it and it, it makes itself. me sick to my stomach. It, it, oh, it, absolutely! I would buy it because <laughs> you didn't know damn well it'd be worth it. You and I would be looking at that. We'd be like, "Well, we're paying a hundred bucks a piece for these. It's only available for a week or a month or whatever, and then you're not going to see this reprinted for a while. And when they do, it won't be this version." Yep. And we'd bite. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, frankly, I it's kind of surprising that they haven't already done like the premium thing the premium uh secret layer i kind of expected that to have already come and been put in the place i don't know what they're waiting on so also because it just it just seems like an obvious choice for them at this point also worth flagging that they called out specific sets here they said successful magic the gathering releases of adventures in the forgotten realms and innistrad midnight hunt have continued to drive strong demand for magic uh, it's funny because we think about both of those sets as being low EV and sets that some pro traders avoided in collector booster box uh, mode, just like skipping buying them entirely. 
um, or were disappointed to crack if you don't hit some of the big ticket items that are uh, harder to find. And yet, yet from a broad sales perspective, Wizard seems happy with it. Although they didn't, I, I note that they didn't call out. You know, sometimes they like to say like best-selling set of all time or whatever. I think they did that in Q2 for either Strixhaven uh, or something else. It might have been Modern Horizons 2, which would make sense. Um, so some they play with words here. It's hard to know exactly how to interpret some of these more nebulous statements. But it's you well, know, I actually read that as essentially meaningless. Like they be. just picked their two most recent standard sets. And just like, oh, yeah, we're doing, we have great sales thanks to Hit Magic the Gathering products, such as this newest release. Like, it sounded hollow to me. As someone who does not really read these very often and does not use, you know, not has no familiarity with, par- with parsing them. Fair enough. I mean, bottom line, Hasbro's doing well. So don't worry about Magic getting canceled anytime soon. Well, I will tell you this. I don't. I doubt anyone's worried about Magic getting canceled. But you know, as a player, it's disconcerting because they're making so much money doing things that a lot of people are not fans of. Um, when it, clearly they're going to look at this and just turn that dot even harder. So, if you didn't like the idea of secret layers and things of that, you know, a lot of the decisions they've been making, I got some bad news for you. Yeah. You're going to see it. I feel like every time we talk about these these calls, it's the same deal. It's like, yep, it's going to happen again, and even more so. Yeah, whether or not you you like where they're headed, the odds of them turning about face when the results look like this are zero to none. Yeah. You're going you're to see more of the same in an expansion along similar principle. Yep. So the good news is no one's ever been trapped playing Magic. There are plenty of other ways to divert your attention if you're not happy. I'm sure the video game industry would love to embrace you with open arms and introduce you to their loot boxes. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I was reading apparently um, the COD tie at one point COD tied in their uh, desktop platform with some mobile version and made like ungodly amounts of money off of it. I don't quite know how that worked, but uh, it could be doing that instead. Not sure exactly what you're referring to, but I'll tell you this much: like as much as Magic is, you know, some players like to label things like Magic as a scam, or a ripoff, or a cash grab. Boy, you'd be hard pressed to show me an entertainment or a sports industry that isn't entirely operating along similar lines. There was wasn't there some COD Mobile platform? There may well been. I never played it. Okay, there was some COD mobile platform that tied in to the desktop client, and apparently the monetization on the mobile client was more significant. Was significant, so but people were incentivized to use the mobile platform to pair with their desktop version. So, you know, they ended up making money hand over fist in a very, I'm sure, predatory manner. It doesn't surprise me. No. All right, where can people find you online, Travis? I remain on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? You folks can find me on Twitter at mggcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mggprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. 
Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Other and Singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. That is the end of episode 295, and we actually know that we are getting spoilers this week. So we will be, that is on the docket for next week. And uh, I guess that's episode 296. Damn, almost 300 episodes. The spoilers kick off with a fairly major event that is with Becca Scott. And who is the actress from True Blood that played a vampire? They're bringing her in. Anna Paquin? No, the redheaded uh beauty that has also appeared on a bunch of D D shows mm, the only it's... one i know from true blood is anna paquin because she's a rogue uh let me just see true blood cast she was also on daredevil she was the female love interest uh deborah ann wool uh, i recognize the name but i don't actually know who that is we'll be debuting uh crimson vow with becca scott on the 28th hmm. so we'll have we will have spoilers next week to discuss okay well uh i will see you then james thank you travis we'll see you all next week on another episode of mtg fast finance